Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. All right, we ventured out into the galaxy and we came across some Guardians. We watched them a little bit for the third time. Jim, how much did you hate this movie? I came into this preloaded with hate. I am obviously the hater on the podcast, but I was actually initially confused when you even texted me to say, do you want to go see this movie? Because neither one of us liked this series. So I was confused at first why you even wanted to go see it. But because I also don't care about spoilers, I read as much as I could so that I knew pretty much everything that was going to go into it. But I can't help but sense the presence of another voice amongst us. The hate is strong in this. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Hey, this is Reese. Might have remembered me from a couple other podcasts. But uh, in regards to Guardians movie, I actually do like the series. But I've been so disappointed with superhero movies in the last like two or three years that if you hadn't invited me, I also would not have seen it. In theaters. So I I just want to be very, very clear up front. I don't hate this series. I wouldn't say I dislike the series. I just don't like the series. Unimpressed Uh, by it? Yeah. Like the first movie, I thought it was was entertaining, but utterly kind of boring for the most part. The second movie, it was funny-ish, but otherwise I didn't really like it that much. And this one... I actually, I thought it was very emotional, and I I liked the emotional ride of it, but again, overall, didn't really enjoy it. For, and, and all three of them, actually, the biggest things that I hated about all three of these movies are the villains. I didn't think any of the villains were, were portrayed well. And this one in particular, since we're, I mean, we're mostly talking about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 here, this one in particular, the high evolutionary, it, from my background as a comic book, He's somebody that doesn't get emotional. Like he's he's basically bred that out of himself. He is very stoic. He's very stern. He's he's in, highly intelligent. I mean, th- this this character in the movie is highly intelligent, but he's so emotional and yelling and screaming all the time. To me, that's not the character, and that's and that actually got brought up earlier too. When when I said before we went into the movie that I was mad because I accidentally came across a spoiler the High Evolutionary was in it. And Jim, you were surprised because you're like, well, yeah, he's in the trailer. like, I didn't know who that character was in the trailer. That's true. They because it doesn't look anything like the comic book character. Doesn't look like the comic book character and they don't name him in the trailer. I'm not familiar with the comic book character, but I, I so I can't compare it to that. I, I found it confusing as well that someone that's supposed to be the high evolutionary would both be that emotional and have that much of a problem with evolution. Well, and you have to look at it as there are two high ev- high evolutionaries in this movie. You have the ones from the flashback, and then you have the current one in the movie who had an event in his life where one of his creations bested him twice, both mentally and then later physically. And 
Rocket Raccoon obviously is very small when he mauls his face. And so, like, that's kind of part of the obsession is, like, he didn't just correct one of his inventions. He also escaped. Bested him physically and then escaped. Mm -hmm. And left him with the face you end up seeing in the very, you know, last scene, which is rather gruesome. Right. But what I'm used to is the high evolutionary that's basically a robot. You know, he doesn't doesn't have a face. He's basically wearing a mask all the time. Like, he's got a metal face, more or less. <laughs> he's not emotional because he doesn't need to be. He's so intelligent that nothing bothers him emotionally. Because he, wor- he works solely on a fact basis. They definitely fell back on a villain trope of that uh, cool indifference and the arrogance. Arrogance was the big thing in this high evolutionary. Well, he always had that in the books, too, I thought. But Well, yeah, but like the a robotic personality, like lack of emotions, whereas this one, like that emotion was present every time you saw him. Right. Looking yeah. down on all the others. Yeah, but he's also very angry and yelly. And Jimmy, you really look like you want to be angry and yelly. <laughs> I don't know much about the character. I, I really thought that that overall the story of this movie was actually the weakest of the three. And it just felt like they shoehorned him in. I don't really like the story of this movie. It was just sort of an excuse to tell a story and to have some fight scenes and stuff. But yeah, to me, not knowing the character at all, I didn't understand why the high evolutionary would be either emotional or when I said have so much trouble with evolution, (laughs) meaning that it shouldn't have been that difficult for him to A, repeat some level of success with his experiments and B, be so bad at all of his other experiments. I did like the whole like that was confusing. Yeah, the science aspect of it just made no sense at all to me. It was just like a, a weird throwaway villain. I mean, it's like I, I don't know. I, I didn't real. I didn't like the movie at all, really. But the villain sucked. They talked about all but, of these races and species that he had, you know, engineered and that uh, were out there in the universe. They were his creations. And then they show animals with robotic arms mm-hmm. as like part of an experiment. And it's just like, where's the disjoint of like whole, complete, functioning races, societies, cultures, and then you're experimenting on animals? Well, that was the whole point of him was he was trying to take like the best genes and then make them a better so like he was experimenting experimenting on animals trying to make them a better version of that species but again i ran into that same thing what was the point of the cybernetics because crude that's not cybernetics was... crude cybernetics even like right. the otter had very simple limbs it's like every, if every single one of them had like actually like fully functioning opposable digits on their things and they were able to manipulate objects and they had the animals doing the memory exercises or whatever, I would have been like, okay, you know, he's mm-hmm. working on the brain or something, but it wasn't. It was just there. Right. Yeah, that the, the, the crude, like, Island of Dr. Moreau thing with the animals and the technology being substitute, it was, like, done for, like, some type of, like, horror, scary effect and, like, animal cruelty porn, which I'll come back to. But the thing, I need, just to take a step back for a second, I did my rewatch in reverse order like i had seen the first two movies obviously but after we saw this movie we decided we would we saw this movie the saturday of opening weekend 
and we're recording now on Sunday. So Saturday night, after having seen Volume 3, I decided, well, let me go back and rewatch the first two movies. I had seen them, but I kind of forgot about them. It really made no sense when I watched the second movie, because in the second movie, the Sovereign, the Golden People, which we only see Aisha, the Queen, and Adam Warlock, which we'll get to, are the only two golden people we see. But we see that in this movie, Aisha is beholden to the High Evolutionary. And I think it's kind of even implied that the uh, High Evolutionary created the Sovereign. It's not implied. He said it. He okay, did. he did yeah. say yeah, it. Yeah, they yeah. said it. Which goes to your point why it's so confusing. In the second movie... They are like a race of like a perfect society in terms of like humanoid physical uh, appearance, super advanced technology, and that's supposedly a world that he created. How does and that this is so clumsily juxtaposed to the anthropomorphized counter earth animal people? It reminds me of Sid from Toy Story One. He's the kid who like pulls the head off dolls and puts them on like connect spiders and mm -hmm. like yeah like super glues other things together so that's why to your point is like it doesn't make much sense it's like if yeah. he already achieved the sovereign although again i know there's a timeline jump so maybe it was before we do flashbacks with rocket so maybe it's going back to before he perfected the sovereign so maybe that's why they're all so but, it, but, it still but then why would he still be stationed on Counter-Earth? Yeah, and why would Counter-Earth be all of those fucked up, dumbass animal uh, animal people? It's like, it just doesn't really make <laughs> so sense. I'm going to point out that you call them dumbasses and their society is exactly the same as ours. Yes. I mean, you don't have octopus, we are dumbasses. You don't have right. octopus heads <laughs> selling meth on Earth. <laughs> no. Oh, by the way, spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> So, yeah, so, I mean, that's what I mean. It, it it doesn't really make any sense to me. It's just a clumsy excuse because we have this weird thing. Like, if I think the movie works really well for, for fans of the franchise, which, again, is one of those things, like I said off the top, it's kind of weird that we even went to see it, especially on its opening weekend because, I mean, Reese said he is a fan of the series. We're not. So, I mean, mostly it's going to be fans of the series that are going. But it's yeah. like the first two movies flow really well together like the, the the second movie pretty much picks up right where the first one leaves off but there's a big gap between the second movie and the third movie and a whole bunch of stuff happens outside of this so-called trilogy of movies so that there would need to be like a clumsy way to kind of like bring people together and have them do a thing before they all go away and I think that this kind of threw the high evolutionary in there so that there's a reason for them to be fighting against something and, and it just, yeah. just didn't really work. There is a flashback scene where after Rocket has, you know, pointed out the mistake where the high evolutionary like runs in and he's stumbling around a bit. And they mentioned that he interrupted his treatments because he had a breakthrough. So something is happening that he is going through treatments, whether that's trying to change himself or something else. But there's some unstable element in his health. Yeah, that's him upgrading himself. For the most part, I think, anyway. I, I want to go back to something that, that you were saying. So the reason I wanted to see it this weekend is just simply so we could record on it. And that, that was 90% of my reasoning for it. Otherwise, I probably would have waited to stream it also. 
But for me, I think these movies, there's there's a lot that happens, but you, you're, you're kind of saying it doesn't make sense. And that's my, other than the villains, that's my problem with these movies is they don't make sense. You, you're watching them do the things that they're doing, and the whole time you're going, why would they do that? Why would anybody do that? And, and that, that's just kind of going on and on and on. So for me, I think the people that really enjoy these movies the most are people that aren't really putting thought into it. They're casual viewers that are just trying to have a good time. Like Reese. He's not really into these movies the same way that I am. And he's not really thinking on it on the storyline details like you do, Jim. He's just there to, to have a good time and watch a movie, right? Well, for this one, I went in with the expectations of what the movie was going to be. Expectations of what the humor type was going to be. And it was the same in this movie as it was in the previous two ones. So, you know, my expectations of the movie were met. I thought it was a good movie. Wasn't an amazing or, you know, stellar performance overall, but I enjoyed it. I guess I would disagree. I agree with Mike's point about the stories are kind of flimsy. You're pretty much watching these movies if you like the characters and the interpersonal dynamics. Because there are times in all three of the movies where those are probably the best parts of the movie. They always yell at each other while they're doing it! Which I'll come back to later. But most of the best parts of all three movies are just interactions between two characters or, or between the group. However, to your other point, I actually think that the stories of the first two movies aren't bad. They're just bloated. But the fundamental story framework of the first two movies isn't bad. This movie story framework, to me, this kind of sucks. So, sorry, I had an epiphany while you were saying that and the way that you said how they interact with each other and they're always yelling at each other. And it just kind of clicked. I'm like, these are just big sitcoms. They really are. I mean, yeah. most of the most of the humor in the three movies, I actually don't find them very funny. But it's very sitcom level type humor. Yep. Call and response type jokes, interactions between the characters. Only difference is that most of the time they're yelling the call and response at each other. This movie had more therapy elements to their interactions and their sitcom situations than the previous two. Well, that's because, again, this movie was was pitched, I mean, again, to go meta. We knew going into this, I mean, James Gunn is done with Marvel. And Marvel is essentially done with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So this is kind of wrapping up the trilogy, essentially, saying this was going to be a conclusion of it. Because there were some threads, some story threads left from Endgame that needed to be, well, I don't know if they needed to be, but could be tied off into a bow. I would actually argue, I'll argue later, that I think actually the second movie could have just been the end of the series and it would have been fine. I, I'm just going to point out that when you tie off threads, you don't do it in a bow. True. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Usually just snip the threads, you don't tie them off. Well, but you do time off, just not in a bow. A bow? It's, okay. It's... <laughs> a sailor's knot? <laughs> a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey knot with Gamora from the past? <laughs> well, let's let's talk about this first off. So we're talking about the high evolutionary, and the plot line of this movie pretty much all revolves around the high evolutionary is pissed at Rocket and wants to get Rocket back. And in the attempt to get Rocket... Rocket gets mortally injured, and then we have a triple MacGuffin 
to carry us through most of the middle of the movie, mm-hmm. which provides a framework for us to have flashback sequences. Because this whole movie is basically like, oh, let's get a big backstory about how Rocket became Rocket, which a lot of people think was great. I was like, why the fuck did we need this? We got enough of it in the previous movies. It's like, if you're going to do this, it should be done well. But first, the triple MacGuffin that I'm talking about, MacGuffin being that term for things inserted in movies that just sort of like magically push a story forward and give people something to do. The first MacGuffin is, oh, Rocket's badly injured. Peter tries to put a med kit on him. Oh no, don't do that. He's got something in his heart that will stop the med kit from working and you'll kill him. So first problem there is like, seriously? Of all the times that Rocket's gotten hurt previously and he's never needed a med pack and that wouldn't have been a problem before or as Mike said after the movie, is like, wouldn't Rocket have just removed that himself? But that MacGuffin means, oh, Rocket's dying and he's in a coma, so he's going to basically have flashback dream sequences. And then we're going to go double MacGuffin. Let's go get a MacGuffin to undo the first MacGuffin. But oh no, that MacGuffin was missing a MacGuffin that was inside that MacGuffin. So we need to go to another place to get the MacGuffin that was inside the second MacGuffin so that we can finally have a showdown. It's like, what the fuck? And all of that is just an excuse for the Guardians to run around, run in the Gamora, for one thing, too, but also to have most of the middle of the movie of Rockets in, like, a coma having flashback sequences to what happened to how he became Rocket. Anybody else want a McMuffin right now? (laughs) (laughs) A McMuffin McGuffin. My take on that was that Rocket was a tech genius, and there's no reason why that kill switch should have still been there. He would have taken out long ago. Now, they could have adjusted it. They could have said, oh, he's got mechanical organs or something, and the ship doesn't tell us how they work, and they're breaking down, or some of them are broken, and the only way to repair them is to get the schematics for those from the high evolutionary stuff. Like, that would have been like, oh, okay, you know, MedPack works on the organic stuff, but it doesn't work on the inorganic stuff. You know, that might have been an alternate way they could have told the story. In which case, you still would have had your MacGuffins, but it wouldn't have been necessarily as large as a plot hole. I think that would also explain, or be able to explain, because this is one of my problems with the whole series too, doesn't seem Rocket like Rocket's that old. Yet somehow in that time frame between when he was a kid and this movie, High Evolutionary is able to create an entire planet, fill it with all of these things twice, because you got the Sovereign and Counter-Earth, and then have them evolve and create an entire cultures on their own in that time frame. That takes a lot of time. And at least to me in the second movie, they made it seem like the Sovereign had been around for a long time. I don't know if they necessarily engin- or grew their culture to that degree. I feel it's more like the high evolutionary is so fucking rich. Am I allowed to curse? Of course you're <laughs> No, you're going to take that back. Of course Gosh. you're fucking allowed to curse. <laughs> Bad dog. I frickin'. He's so frickin' rich that he can build an entire planet... He could build the buildings on it and then basically just drop people off on it. Well, they did make the illusion, even back to the first movie, that what he was doing was illegal. So he's so rich, he can break the law. But again, back to the sovereign thing. Again, I forgot about this completely until rewatching the second movie. Their society was so advanced, and they even kind of poked fun at this, mm-hmm. that they don't fuck. They're all born in birthing chambers 
genetically engineered to serve a particular purpose inside the society, and every single one in the the society, the sovereigns, were all perfectly genetically engineered, and even Aisha, the sovereign queen, genetically engineers Adam Warlock to be the to be the next generation of the sovereign who has superpowers yeah. who can get their revenge. And then we find out that, oh, it was the high evolutionary who actually even created the sovereigns, which goes back to our point from earlier. It's like, so all of that advanced genetic engineering. Yes. But and he, then well, we have counter earth. He talks about like the, the points of earth that he liked was like the culture, the art, the creativity, the, in one science fiction book I read, it talks about the curious species, like how if you went into a galaxy, like not all species that succeeded would have been curious. They would have like done the bare minimum. They would have only advanced when they had to, like when some, oh, you know, meteor's going to hit our planet in 10 years. We need to make an invention that will stop that. Whereas like the sovereigns aren't creative. They don't have arts. They don't have, you know, their society's only advancing any further than it is. When it has to. Like, they had a huge setback, so what did they do? They created Adam Warlock. Because they couldn't do it on their own. They were pushed to advance. They probably would have won in the second movie, but their fleet of ships gets destroyed by Ego, who's a celestial. (laughs) (laughs) But, 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 yeah. To my point is, in that whole time, though, yeah, he could create the people and put them on the planets, but that doesn't create a culture. And both of these planets had a culture, especially the counter-Earth had a full culture and had grown to the point where they were doing drug deals and yeah. you know, lived in neighborhoods together and, and had expectations and stuff. You don't grow that in five, ten years. That's That takes a long time True, true. to cultivate that. Well, one of the other things that bothered me about the Rocket backstory stuff is it basically stops after Rocket escapes. There's a huge gap of time. Like you said, when Rocket escapes, right. he's still relatively young. How does Rocket actually become the Rocket we meet? How did he meet Groot? Stay tuned for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 4. Again, I mean, that's like, that to me would be more like, how did he become, a, essentially, he's essentially like a bounty hunter in the first movie with Groot as his his muscle. It's like, how did he meet Groot? Right. And he's written, Groot's like his best friend. How did that even happen? Right, right. So, I mean, like, like it didn't, like what I was saying, it didn't explain anything more. We knew from the very first movie that Rocket was genetically engineered mm-hmm. and he was abused in order to get to that point. Right. The flashback sequence just showed us some of that, but then stops well short of showing us how Rocket actually became Rocket. So it didn't really add anything to Rocket's story. It gave him a tragic origin story. But did it, though? It's like saying, oh, look, the flashback of Batman's parents getting shot, and all of a sudden he's Batman now. And all those years of training in between to become Batman are completely lost. They're completely lost, but it also doesn't really make current state Rocket make any sense to me. Because, like, the Rocket that we meet from the very beginning and throughout the other movies is an asshole. He had, I mean, and again, there's a great scene in the second movie that did a much better between Yondu and, and Rocket that explained this much better than this, but it's like, 
why did why is Rocket like mean? Why does he want to like steal people's like sick synthetic limbs? Why does he want to blow stuff up? Why does he want to kill people? Like, why is he like not like running around? Like after the thing that we saw in Volume Three, why isn't he running around trying to save animals? Why is he fucking? He kills and and there's a scene in the very first movie where he actually participates in a gambling thing where animals are fighting over killing other animals. Shouldn't Rocket have been fucking pissed off about that and shot the fucking place up? You're yeah. looking for consistency and we can't have that. Well, that's the thing. It's like, well, no, because this is one of my, my problem. People saying James Gunn's such a great uh, visionary. James Gunn has said from the very beginning that he viewed Rocket as his spirit animal. Like Rocket is his favorite character and he believes that James Gunn, it's his spirit animal. And he believed that this was always his intention, that this trilogy was about Rocket. Well, for me, fucking fail. Because it's like, I'm sorry, but Volume 3 didn't fucking do any of that. We didn't need that fucking story. There's a great confrontation between Yondu and Rocket in 2, where Yondu is basically just giving Rocket shit about, like, I know who you are, you... Because in that movie, even Peter is like, what are you trying... Are you trying to make everybody hate you? If so, you're doing a great job, because Rocket's just alienating everyone. And Yondu's like, I understand, I know exactly who you are. You hate yourself so much that you drive everybody away. You're ashamed of, of who you are. And and you just want to be alone because you feel so bad about yourself. I, I spoke about the therapy conversations in this one. Well, no. And but- you can see where he comes from. Like, he, sur- he was survivor's guilt. Like, he survived. And those three friends that he had did not. They didn't make it off. And he blamed himself. It implies that, but it doesn't show that. That was supposed to be the, oh, that's the big motivator for Rocket, because they had that stupid dream cliche fucking yes. dream sequence. So therefore, he like, makes oh, no friends, I, and yet so, he has Groot as a friend. I'm so I'm so yeah. sad because I let you down, and you're dead. Can I go with you and be dead with you? Oh, no. It's not your time yet. Fuck that it. real fucking original. That was like, cliche. That was so like, cliche. That's the yeah. most fucking cliched piece of fucking I was like, crap. and now she's going to say it's not your time, and then it didn't have, like, oh, it's like, oh, okay, maybe they didn't, and then they did it, and I was like, ah. Oh, and then it. she even says it's like, oh, it was your story all along, which is James Gunn saying <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy was rocket, so it's like, fuck off. It's like, that's just fucking stupid. It doesn't explain why Rocket acts the way Rocket has all this time. And again, he had a much more therapeutic and cathartic moment when Yondu at the end of the second movie this movie... Well, that's because he was unconscious the whole movie, so he couldn't progress, except for that one scene where, you know... At the end, when he sees all the baby raccoons? Lila? Yeah, Lila. She called herself Lila. When Lila basically says, you know, yeah, you can keep living. It's not... She doesn't say it's not your fault, so there's one cliche that they didn't go through, but one of the reasons I didn't like the Avengers, the Endgame movies, too many characters. With that many characters in a movie... Even if though it was two and a half hours long, like you still didn't have that much to develop individual characters. So them cramming in those screaming sessions where they're saying things that are profound to their, you know, therapeutic or their mental health is kind of, I guess, the only way they could force that. But that's the other thing, too, is like how much of this movie was wasted on the rocket stuff that didn't fucking go anywhere. And there are good parts of the movie where where there are sort of like, let's say, goodbye to each other movie moments yeah. spread throughout the movie. 
which are not bad, but they're like short, like 30 second scenes because we don't have a lot of time because we spent a whole bunch of time. Let's have flashbacks and fucking cut animals to pieces and glob little fucking pieces of mechanical things on them Mm -hmm. for no fucking reason other than it's to be cruel to animals. And we can't have any other time left for anyone else to actually do anything or do it. But we're just going to do that part. So it's like, it doesn't make any fucking... It's the worst part of the movie for me, but well, it's also why. If you wanted to progress this story, you would have had to remove elements that were setting up the next one. Like, you had Cosmo and Craglin on the... Um, nowhere. <laughs> on Nowhere, yes, that's what it's called. Like, if you took that out, that would have been an extra 20 minutes of screen time. You could have given to other characters. I actually like that story. I did too. That's what it I mean. It's like, up, if you it sets up story. the next one. Well, it kind of sets up the next one. Well, whatever, but it's like, well, uh, that's what I mean. It's like, there were small moments. Whether they like, do a series or they're going to do something with it, with those guardians. I think, I think it's probably going to be a mini series on Disney, Disney plus. plus or something. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, if you watch the, when I, when I rewatch the other movies, it's like, there's a ton of call, as you would expect, there's a ton of callbacks in this movie to the other two. But the funny thing is, if you actually watch them back to back to back, it's actually like, wow, what a lack of originality. You're just playing the same mm-hmm. beats over and over again. It's not really a callback. It's just like, you're just doing the same thing again. I like, made Like a sitcom. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just like, a, oh, Trax is a dumbass. <laughs> Mantis is awkward. Oh, yeah. We've done this like 500 times already. It's not all negative. I didn't like the villains. I, I hated Adam Warlock in this in this one too. Uh, I thought he was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, used completely wrong. Um, I am somewhat comparing him to the comic books, but even not compared to the comic books, he was useless and pointless, and just didn't make sense for that to be Adam Warlock. That's not what that character is. It didn't make sense for it. Have that be some other character other than Adam Warlock, because if you're not going to use that character, that that character is too big in the Marvel universe to waste that way. I'm just going to throw out there real quick. If you're interested in comic books, but you don't want to read comic books, there's a really good YouTube channel called comic books explained where he like, he'll read all the books and he'll break down an entire run or an entire storyline and explain everything that happened in it mm-hmm. in a more of a video format. So you can kind of, you get the hint, you understand the characters, you know, the story of what happened, but you don't have to sit there and read all of the comic books to get it. Go ahead, Jim. The funny thing for me is, like, most of the stuff that happens, in some respects, some of the best storylines associated with the Guardians are background things happening during the Avengers movie. The whole really, like, love affair between Peter and Gamora mainly happens in the background of Infinity War. So it's like, maybe we could have just put this in the background of some upcoming other movie. Like, maybe just add 20 minutes to Thor Love and Thunder that... To show what happened to the rest of them after they dropped off We don't talk about that movie. We don't talk about that movie, but I mean, they were in that movie. Except to talk about how bad that movie was. Well, again, just just make one of my points. like You had mentioned before we started recording, oh, there was this great speech that someone got to make about family and, and, and recognizing the family that you have. Peter gives that speech in Thor Love and Thunder. The big love story speeches of I love you, blah, 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 between Peter and Gamora, happen in Infinity War. A lot of, like, the big moments that people think of aren't in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. They're in the other movies as background stuff. So, like I said, actually, it would have made Love and Thunder a slightly less sucky movie. It's like, hey, 
for this first 20 minutes, <laughs> no. we're just going to show you what happened to the Guardians of the Galaxy. And maybe they drop Peter off on Earth and Thor says, well, I guess I'll go to Earth too. And I'll go check on my uh, people who are here. But anyway, yeah. they, I mean, I mean, there really wasn't a lot I there. thought that the third Guardians of the Galaxy movie was going to have Thor in it. But then yeah. there was, yeah, it like never came out. And then they made Love and Thunder and he left the Guardians. But, and again, they set up like, hey, there was this, all the stuff was happening when we had Thor with us. You'll never know about it. Yeah. There's a lot of problems. I just keep coming back to, I think these movies, they're made, they're created for casual viewers more than anybody else. Oh, without question. This is casual, even people who might not even be all that into the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are probably people who are just fans of these movies. Yeah. And again, if you like these movies and you like these characters, it's an enjoyable movie and it's an it's an enjoyable trilogy. And maybe you just need to watch a couple of the Disney Legends things just to find out what happens in between the second and the third movies. <laughs> the only thing that made this movie enjoyable at all was the emotional ride. And, and ironically, actually, so this whole thing is like, Oh, a bunch of outcasts finding family together. And I never really feel that in the series until the flashbacks with Rocket. That's when I felt it. And that's when I felt that emotional pull Mm -hmm. that I think this entire series is trying to get out of me that I never felt. But when you had, you know, the animals that had been experimenting on finding some joy together, finding a group of close friendship, family environment, that was when I started feeling the emotional pull on it. And so... All the flashback scenes were really the only parts I actually liked about this movie, hmm. ironically. But everything else to me was just filler to try I, to explain what happened to Rocket. I like the flashback scenes. It again comes, the thing I just like about them is again, the animals. Like you could have done a scene where you show the animal animal on the table and then, you know, the machines are going to come out and then you pan away so you're not showing the actual cutting in. And then when they showed the animals as they are afterwards... It should have been more humanoid or, you know, maybe it's got like a limp arm on one side or one arm is smaller and, you know, there's a lot of biometrics and things. But the the animals with the connects are, you know, the yeah. kids playset connects but, arms. But they did like show that. that with Rocket. That's every yeah. flashback. He, he had he progressed had, a little bit more, a little bit more. He was actually humanoid with like, you know, well, raccoons have opposable thumbs and legs, but... He just had cybernetic implants. Though. Yeah, they cybernetic like implants. Cut off, they didn't cut off his arms and replace them with bazookas. They did. There was a, a <laughs> short. <laughs> there was a short that. scene where they show like his arm go from being like a paw to like growing slightly and becoming more like slightly yeah. longer fingers. And that's why like he stands upright and his posture's different. Yeah, maybe I saw it differently, but I saw it like them pulling the skin back over his paw again. Is the way I saw it happen. But yeah. maybe, maybe I saw it wrong. But that's. That's kind of how I saw it. Where like they had, and they they kind of said that you know in the first movie I think it was where they said they ripped them apart and put them back together again. Oh yeah, and yeah. so that was that was what I saw was they did, they did all that stuff and they little by little progressed it through. And maybe maybe that's point, why they did it that way because yeah. in the previous versions, which are the ones with all the crude stuff, was yeah. because they tried to do it all at once and it didn't work right, so they had to replace the whole arm. But it didn't really make. It seemed to make sense that what the high evolutionary was doing with Rocket was about advancing his intellect. And that was one of the things that the high evolutionary was really harping on, 
what the fuck was the point of cutting off the otter's arms and putting fucking many clipboards like that? What the fuck was the point of that? So it wasn't just about intellect, though. It was about making a the perfect being. Oh, like war pig. I think like the it's supposed to be a progression where Rocket <laughs> yeah. was the penultimate of this experiment group. The problem is that yeah. the sample size we saw was four animals, and three of them were messed up. Like if they had shown like if those were a little less messed up looking, and they'd shown the failures that looked like that, I'd been like, okay, you know, it's just so, he's got then, an idea. But that's why again, it, it also didn't make sense on Counter Earth. It's just anthropomorphized animals. Yeah. None of them, other right. than the people who were the bodyguards out front, like Warpig and the others, were all fucked up cybernetic type of things. So but that, everything else was just... Because that experiment group was based on evolution through cybernetics. Yeah. When he realized that wasn't working, he went through evolution by forced evolution over time. It, it what seems do you say, like, like thousands of years of millions evolution? Of years, millions yeah. of years of evolution? Like, mm-hmm. making it a natural evolution instead of a cybernetic evolution. It, it's one of those th- things where, like, if you add a line to a scene, you know, like, if the high evolutionary had said, oh, I've created races through bioengineering, chemical engineering, blah, 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 and had, like, said some things, and, you know, now we're trying forced evolution, or just described this experiment group is this type mm-hmm. of trying to find a perfect race, as opposed to taking this race and deleting all their flaws, or making them more like this. I guess. I mean, the part I didn't really like was that, like, I mean, most of it happens off screen. So, like, there's one part where they've recovered the second MacGuffin and they're playing the video log of what was actually done to Rocket. And most of that we don't see. We just hear him screaming. And Nebula's like, oh, that's worse than what Thanos did to me. Like, come on. No. She had her body parts replaced. Her almost entire body Basically, without anesthesia. Yeah, and it's Replaced like you show Rocket, and he has a few cybernetic implants. But he still largely like looks like a yeah. raccoon. That yeah, he got fucked up. But come on, it's not on the same level of what happened to Nebula. And we saw a lot about what happened to Nebula. Again, I saw no value in any of that. Even if the flashback had just focused on fucking up Rocket more, it's like we already knew Rocket got fucked up. The blatant emotional manipulation of the other cutesy animals that were being hacked to pieces for no reason was just emotional manipulation and unnecessary animal torture porn. So that's why it's like, when you said your favorite aspect was the flashbacks, it's like, I, that's the fucking part of the movie I hated. See, no, no, it's the only part that I thought worked, as I should say. And that's because, again, I'm looking at it from an emotional standpoint, and you're looking at it from a plot standpoint. If there was a standalone episode on Disney Plus for Rocket, and they covered all the flashbacks there, how he met Groot, and it was a 30-minute episode, this entire movie could have been taken a different way to end the story, bring everything back together, and it wouldn't have had... I don't like flashbacks in that regard, and a lot of times you have a story that's being told, and then it gets interrupted for a flashback. Yeah. But I mean, the emotional stuff, though, I mean, we had emotional stuff with the other characters. Like This movie wasn't about those characters. Yeah. But that's the thing that that doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, it didn't really add anything to me. It's like, the which it took time away from the other emotional goodbyes and stuff like that. I didn't really, again, you already mentioned it. I already said it's like, I really would have rather have seen what happened to Rocket after he escaped, how he actually met Groot, how they became friends, why they were friends and that type of stuff. I don't disagree. I think 
See, all the, all the stuff, the, like the emotional goodbyes, mm-hmm. I couldn't care less about. I don't like, that's what I don't like about this movie. I wish the movie was what happened to Rocket, what happened after he escaped, you know, all that stuff you just said. Mm-hmm. That's what I wish. If the movie, whole movie was that, I probably would have liked you it. You could have had a 10 minute flashback that explained everything that happened to Rocket in a more succinct, succinct. succinct way, mm-hmm. in a clearer and more concise way. And then you wouldn't have had an interruption every 10 minutes of the rest yeah, of the Yeah, that, but that's kind of a storytelling element though that right but then you could have you could have continued yeah. to have flashbacks as well and they could have been rocket to this point yeah. what's Which, your next point jim let me shift away to something that's maybe more positive the one thing that i like most about the movie that i'll give james Gunn credit for is it would have been so easy to make the cop out that quill and gamora get back together <laughs> a really hacky cop-out that a lot of writers and directors would have done yes. is at the end of the movie, oh, you know what? I do love you. I get it now. Let's be together. Would have been the cop-out way that a lot of people would have done. Whereas at the end, all she just says is, I bet we were fun, and yeah. walks away. This was the other thing about the movie. It's like, there are good parts of the movie, but they're very, very short very, very isolated because there's not a lot of time to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's a really good scene earlier on in the movie where they've hooked up with Gamora because they need her to go get the second MacGuffin. Because obviously it's in a space where the Ravagers have to help. Excuse to bring Gamora back in. She gets into a mini fight with Quill and like shoves him against the wall and screams at him. And, well, it's like something along the lines of what's so broken in you that you need to find it in me. I was fully expecting them to get back together by the end of the movie, and that was one of the things I enjoyed is that they didn't. It would have been a cop-out that some fans probably would have liked, yeah, but it would have been stupid. So talking about like <laughs> the interpersonal relationships between the characters in the movie, like you constantly have the scenes where you talk about, you know, like when it's important, they're yelling at each other, where like you have the scene near the end where they find the kids in the cells between nebula mantis and drax and you like you find out like what they thought of each other and how like nebula just thought that mantis and drax were just dragging the entire team down basically also voicing kind of what some fans are not fans of the series also say drax and mantis are just fucking useless characters that are just mined for the same joke over and over again Mm -hmm. but nebula is pissed Rightly so, because they have fucked up throughout the other movies. And that that movie's like, you just keep fucking things up. You're completely fucking useless. I think when Mantis says he's the only person on the team who doesn't hate himself. Yeah, exactly. What she says is great because she's like, yes, he's fucking stupid. But he's the only person on the team who doesn't hate himself. And he loves all of us. And he's doing things for the right reason. And Trax is like... I'm not really sure if I like this defense (laughs) because it's like, because they're like, oh yeah, he's totally fucking stupid. (laughs) And then she also erases it and touches like, forget. And he forgets all of the, but Nebula and Mantis get to have the screaming at each other thing. It's like, oh, okay. Because, yeah, because she doesn't want him to like question himself. Like she likes who he is. Mm -hmm. And so she erases that conversation. So he stays who he is. Whereas, yeah, both her and Nebula advance as characters. Like, they grow. And so then you get to the end of the movie when, you know, the family's tighter than ever. And then they all split up. Gamora and Peter don't get back together. 
but it's the same for the entire team as well. Like, the entire team doesn't stay together at the end, even though they're closer than they were at the beginning of the movie. True, yeah. There's not really a great ending in that regard. Mantis, like, they could they could have, you know, wrapped it up nice where they're all back on the team together and they go off in their lovely adventures and right off into the sunset. But I mean, they don't do that. Some of it... They're real characters. They leave to develop themselves more. And, again, going meta, a lot of the actors and actresses aren't coming back. But I think the send-off at the end, I mean, it does a couple things really well. Is it lowers your expectations if they move forward? Because if they all stayed together, then you're going to expect there to be another movie with all of them in it and everything like that. But also, it kind of shows family splits up. They move away from each other. They're still family. They still love each other, but they're going to follow their own paths. To me, this one was just emotionally flat at the end. Because nobody died. Peter and Gabor didn't get back together, which I'm glad for. And people just go off and do their own things. I don't know if it was intended to be a self-aware joke, but there's a great exchange in the holiday special, which came out before the movie came out. But there's a great exchange between Drax and Mantis in it, which I thought was hilarious. But at one point in the holiday special, somebody tells a story. You don't need to know what the story is. You don't need to know the holiday special. You don't even need to watch holiday special. But Mantis's reaction to the story was, that was such a heartbreaking story. To which Drax says, I know, I hate stories where everybody lives. That summed up this movie for me. It's like a lot of people have said how emotional and heartbreaking aspects of the story was. And it's like, but nobody died. Lila <laughs> died, Floor died. Well, nobody I cared about died. None of the major characters. People for whom the heartbreaking elements of this story or emotional elements of this story worked for, I can understand why they might like it from that level. But like for me, it just made me kind of laugh at the tracks line. It's like, yeah, it is heartbreaking when nobody dies or where everybody lives. <laughs> right. Because it wasn't right. very interesting. Well, again, though, for me, I mean, like I said before, the, the emotional ride for me and the heartbreaking part was the rocket flashbacks. And that's why, because I knew that they weren't going to live. We don't know it, but we know it. And so, like, seeing, again, kind of the outcasts and and stuff like that, forming that alliance, knowing that only Rocket was going to survive out of it, that was the emotional pull on it. The only thing I, only thing I would say there is I thought what they were going to do, because Rocket makes the key and he lets himself out of the cage, this would have worked better for me. I thought Rocket was going to abandon them and save himself. Instead... He does try to save them, lets them out of the cage, but they get killed by the high evolutionary and also the crossfire and the shootout with the guards. If Rocket selfishly saved himself and left his friends behind to die, not only would that have felt a little bit more consistent with the Rocket character we've seen in the movies, but that would be more survivor's guilt for me. Can I take it one step further? Sure. Because I don't think it would have made sense for him to leave them there. But if they if he'd let them out and they're all trying to escape and he had and something happens and there's a moment he, where he's looking at the ship and then looking back at them choosing what yeah he has do. he has a chance to escape or he can try to save them again and he chooses to escape instead right. and they end up dying right so like he tried to save them and then you know and he says some sort of line along the lines of oh they're they're stupid they couldn't get out on their own or something like that that would more set up towards the rocket we know to your mm-hmm. point. But that's what I mean. It it would have made more sense to me, though, that if he found a way to get himself out and said, I'll come back for you, or 
that would have made more sense. Because, again, I know you can look at it different ways. It wasn't his fucking fault that they got killed. Right. So it's like, why would he feel guilty? It's like, it's not like he left them behind. They got killed. Not his fault. Well, Reese, you got anything else on your piece of paper? I have Groot. I wanted to talk about that. Because one of the things that we were talking about when we left the theater, I actually liked this, but it did lead to an interesting conversation. So Gamora, when she comes back, is now the old Gamora. So when Groot says, I am Groot, everyone else automatically knows what Groot's saying. But she all she's hearing is, I am Groot. At the very end of the movie, she's standing on nowhere, just on like the porch or whatever. And Groot comes out and says, I am Groot. And she turns around and says, yeah, I'll be right there. And she's like, and she pauses. And then he says, I am Groot. And she's like, yeah, I enjoy working with you too. So at the end, she realized she just automatically understood Groot. Yeah. And that was once I read up a bit more on like the Groot language, just a very little bit. It confused me more. It's like in the movies, is it supposed to be like a low level psychic thing? But well, it actually says that their vocal cords are so like constricted that it just sounds like they're saying I am Groot, but it's actually like a complete language. We argued about how is that possible? Because we want to get to that. That was sort of the other big emotional moment, which I'll get to in a second. But I went back and watched the other movies like back in the very first movie when he says I am Groot initially even Rocket mocks it. It's like, yeah, those are the only three words he knows. But as the movie progresses... He says, I am Groot, and Rocket translates for the others. Like, oh, he just said blah, blah, blah. When we get to the second movie, kind of like halfway through, but definitely by the end. Actually, I think it's at the very end of the second movie. In one of the end credit scenes, when at that point it's like teenager Groot, Peter comes in and, and basically tells him to clean up his room. And he says, I am Groot. And Peter like, I'm boring. You're boring, like Peter just automatically, un- it's still yeah. unexplained, now, automatically understands Groot. But in the other movies, he seems to. But they also have the Thor line in Love and Thunder, I guess, where, where Thor says he took Groot as like a minor in Asgard uh, University. Infinity War. Yeah, Infinity War, so that he understands Grootness. Like, so I understood what Groot meant. But there seemed to be some type of like maybe telekinetic thing, but yeah. it was never really explained why everyone else. Maybe knew it's it. such a complex language that it take just takes a translator like months of hearing it to figure out that there's actually a different words. There is, different but <laughs> the only times on, in the things that he ever said anything different is the "We Are" group at, at the end of the first movie when he sacrifices himself to save them. But the very end of this, when they're when they're all together, all saying their goodbyes. Groot says, I love you guys. That's what we hear him say. An interesting theory online, again, I haven't really looked into this anything more than this interesting theory, was that they posited that much in the same way that Gamora understood Groot all of a sudden, for some unexplained reason, they said that we just heard what Groot said without someone having to translate it for us, but he actually still said, I am Groot. But we heard what he said. Yeah. Because like, like Gamora, we're now grooted. Yeah. Once once she loves him as family, she right. understands she it. She understands it. So now we're part of the family. We're so part we of understand the Guardians it. of the Galaxy family. We, under, we understand group now, too. On a final note, the music was okay. 
I mean, James Gunn does a pretty good job of injecting music into his stuff. I thought these movies were just a excuse for a mixtape. Yeah, pretty much. I think the mixtape of the first movie was great. The second movie was meh to me. And then this one was kind of in between. A lot of times, like when they put music to a scene, like it's very specific music to fit that exact scene. And I felt like in this movie, like the music was there, but the scene... But they were, like, with each other. They weren't, like, specifically yeah. engineered around each other. You know? It wasn't you know it, did, I mean? it wasn't as explicit as it has been in other James Gunn things, like Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. It's much more, seemed to be much more prevalent or noticeable. This was just a little bit toned down. But again, even then, there were some good use of songs. Yeah. And they would switch between, like, the music's playing everywhere to now it's just playing from the Walkman. Right. To now it's just playing in his headphones. And it was yeah. actually... And the scenes would continue, yeah. And it was actually nice resonance. Not that we, I caught it immediately. I didn't catch it until I watched the other movies last night. It's like, at the first end credit scene, they're actually sitting around talking about what's your favorite music or what songs yeah. do you like type of thing. And then Rocket actually picks the song that they're going to kind of fight to. And the song he picks is actually the very first song you hear. When we first meet Peter at the beginning of the very first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, that's the song he plays on the Walkman. So the the last song you hear is the same as the first song you heard. So one thing that I really liked about this movie too, though, through the progression of these movies, in the first movie... Music is 100% Peter's thing, and everybody kind of mocks him for it. Yes. And then, you know, Groot starts dancing to it, and then, like, a little bit later in the second movie, then Gamora starts liking the music, and then other people start like, And now in this movie, everybody likes the music, and they're cranking it up, and they're playing it for everybody. So I, I like how that music has been shared and has spread throughout everybody, and even into nowhere. Mm-hmm. All right. Have we exhausted all the things that we wanted to say? I Yeah, I think so. I would just end on the note of, like, again, we, we probably spent an awful lot of this saying how much we don't like it, and we spent most of this being relatively negative, especially me, as usual. But again, this is, as stupid as it is to say, this is a movie, Volume 3, it's a movie for people who are fans of the franchise. So if you yeah. like the Guardians of the Galaxy, you will like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. You actually will probably love the movie. If you actually like the Guardians of the Galaxy, really enjoyed the first two movies, if you really enjoyed the characters, then you really will, I think, love this movie. You will see probably a mix of reviews, but they will probably ultimately end up leaning more to the positive side. Because to Reese's point, it's like, if you know what this is and you accept what this is and you go in there with those expectations, you get a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And if you like Guardians of the Galaxy movies, you're going to like this movie. And the emotionally manipulative stuff that I didn't like will probably work for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think people who like the franchise will really love the movie. To that point, the things that I did like about it revolved around the characters that I liked. And things that I didn't like revolved around the characters I didn't like. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. it goes along with it. Like, I liked every almost everything about Nebula in this movie. Nebula is my favorite character in this. I like Rocket. I liked pretty much everything about Rocket in this movie. I don't like Peter Quill in this movie or in these movies, so I didn't like anything really related to him. He's my least favorite character. 
My favorite characters in the series are actually Gamora and Nebula. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, I mean, they, they're also the ones that tied us into the Thanos storyline and the Infinity War Endgame storyline. I would have rather have spent a lot more time with them. Agreed. I don't really think there was a lot of depth to plumb with Drax and Mantis. They were paper thin to begin with, but a little bit more with Gamora and Nebula and maybe a bit more of their sisterly relationship might have been something that could have been maybe more emphasized in this movie. And again, the only part of Peter Quill's story that is actually, I think, a really good element is, again, the second film is not great, but if you could strip it down a little bit to a shorter movie, the ego storyline and his father and mother is actually a pretty good story. He's mm-hmm. not too bad in it. And again, Yondu rounds that out pretty well. Yeah. And then the only other thing that I think is really the, probably the best storyline related to the characters is Gamora's death in Infinity War was just a fucking great story. And that was probably one of the best uses of that character, which is also tragic because we lost a great character which made the difficulties of bringing it back. So I do like some of the characters, but I think, again, lots of people like all of, if not the ensemble together. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of people who will really like this movie. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.